Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-hosts, Patrick Farrell and Dr. Nicola Flanagan. We're continuing this female series where we're going to be discussing all things female physiology, nutrition, training, etc. Okay. As we've mentioned previously in this series, and it's something that I want to mention again at the beginning, there's so many things that are basically just the same. Okay, so as you listen to this episode, keep that in mind rather than us continuing to repeat it like we did in the last episode. However, there are a couple of differences, including those related to nutrient intake. Okay, so in this episode, what we're going to be covering are some of the nutrient specific concerns for women, Um, not necessarily just because they're women, but also because there's many changes throughout the lifespan. And also in, for example, women's propensity to be on a plant-based diet, that's something that we will transition into. Um, but for the beginning of this episode, how are you, Patty? I am absolutely splendid. And yourself, Gary? I'm very good, thank you. And you, Nicola, how are you? Good, very good. Outstanding. Right, let's get stuck into this episode. So, they're obviously, well, I say it's obvious, right? But it's actually kind of not, it's not necessarily intuitive uh, unless you actually do some sort of study with nutrition. But you can be inadequate in nutrients, right? And again, it sounds pretty intuitive, sounds pretty obvious. But if you didn't know that, like animals don't necessarily know that, right? So this was something that was figured out over time by humans. Now, again, animals might have an instinct and go, okay, I need to consume some sodium. You know, they'll go to like a salt lick or something and they'll get some sodium because they're like, okay, I need to consume sodium. We have some of that in terms of there's some nutrients that we have a a sense for. Sodium is one of them. Um, But other ones, we just have no capacity to know, oh, I'm deficient in this nutrient. Oh, I need to consume this nutrient, right? So we have to use our nice evolved monkey brains and go, okay, I need to look at my diet. I need to look at what I'm consuming. And then I need to compare that to the recommendations for different nutrients, whether that's the macronutrients, which we talk a lot about, but also the micronutrients, right? Now, I'll say at the outset, none of us here are registered dietitians, at least to my knowledge. Um, and it is a registered dietitian that would be the person that would go through this stuff and make sure like they're the only one that can technically you know, quote unquote, prescribe uh, nutrition. They're the only one that can be like, right, you are actually deficient. They might not be able to classify deficiency, like you have to get blood work, et cetera, but they're the one that's going to go, these are the nutrients that you have to, you know, eat to overcome this. Or in a hospital setting, as I'm sure both of you guys know, they might be on the team that's going, okay, well, this person needs these, you know, whatever IV solution, whatever type of nutrition for this issue, right? But We're not actually going to prescribe anything in this episode, but what we are going to do in this episode is go through some of the common deficiencies or the common suboptimal intake. And this is something that I also want to just briefly touch on at the start, which is you can be completely deficient. I say completely, I shouldn't say that. You can be deficient in a nutrient, right? Meaning that there's actual issues being caused by that deficiency. You know, if you have, say, for example, one that we'll go on to, if you have a low iron intake, you could have anemia as a result because of that deficiency, right? But we can also have a suboptimal intake, right? We can have an optimal intake and then we can start getting into excessive intakes, right? So this, you need to look at this as a kind of a spectrum with all of the different nutrients here. It's not a case of, oh, I just need more of that nutrient, 
right? Because that's often the way people think of it, especially as you first get into this stuff. You're just like, oh, well, I'll just take, you know, 12 multivitamins a day and it'll be all good, you know? And that's not necessarily beneficial. Now, for certain nutrients, that's going to be more harmful. For other nutrients, it's going to be less of a concern. For example, water-soluble vitamins, if you eat in excess of them or you consume in excess of them, you're probably just going to pee a lot of it out, right? Whereas fat-soluble vitamins, like that's going to get stored in your fat and it's going to accumulate over time, right? So there are different concerns. We're not going to talk too much about them, but I do want to make it clear from the start that there are the, or there is this kind of range of intake that we want to be consuming. And it goes all the way from deficient intake or really suboptimal intake to, you know, just generally suboptimal intake. And then we have, you know, optimal or, you know, this is where we want to be. Now, the exact numbers for all of these different nutrients, this gets argued back and forth all the time. You know, like I'd love to be able to just come on this episode and go, this is the exact number, you know, it's based on weight or it's based on age or it's based on whatever category, right? But I can't give you exact numbers. We can give you an idea, but ultimately <clears throat> we're all individuals. Ultimately, you know, there's a lot of confusion, I should say, in, especially in the actual like, you know, health and fitness realm about, oh, is this a deficient number or is this a, an optimal number? Where are we in between that? Where should something be? Right. So with that in mind, Gary or Nicola, do you have anything to introduce this, you know, topic or will I just start getting into the nutrients of concern? I think we can go, go straight into it. Fantastic. Um, Right. So the first one, and this, you know, especially if you are into your health and fitness and you're in the, uh, you know, whatever you want to call this world, the bodybuilding world, <laughs> you know, like you go to the gym, basically, right? Protein. This is one that people will talk about all the time. We've talked about it previously. We talk about it all the time, but a lot of the actual like general population are not consuming enough protein, right? Now, again, there are some concerns about what exactly the number is, like where should that number be? And we touched on that a little bit in, I think it was the last episode, maybe it was the one before that, whatever it was. Um, there are some current concerns about where is the exact number, right? And we tend to just, you know, give a blanket statement of, you know, 1.5 to 2.5 grams per kilo per day. But obviously we have to modify that based on, you know, activity levels. We have to modify that based on, you know, lean body mass. Like if you are someone that's, you know, I don't know, whatever, 50% body fat, like, and you're going up at the high end of that range or at the 2.5, you're probably in excess. Again, looking at that, you know, uh, spectrum of, oh, this is a deficiency all the way up to an excess. Now with protein, there's not a huge concern for a lot of people, at least, unless there's some sort of underlying kidney issue or something, there's not a huge concern about excess protein intake. However, it does mean that it's probably displacing other things in the diet that would potentially be more beneficial, right? But in general, you know, most people are just not getting enough protein, especially if they are in this kind of whatever you want to call it, athletic population, right? Now, we're going to go through all the, well, I say all the, there's definitely ones that we just don't know of and whatever else, but we're going to go through the general in inadequacies and general concerns. And then we're going to get onto more female specific. But the reason we're doing that kind of general overview first is because it's not like just because you're a different sex, like it's one or the other. It's like, it doesn't ma make it, uh, oh, you know, you've no concern for the, the general concerns. You know, you need to look at the general and go, okay, I need to make sure that I'm shoring all that stuff up 
And then I need to look at, okay, I am in this specific population. I need to make sure that the concerns for this population are, are short, uh, I can't even speak, are uh, all dialed in, you know? Um, but on the, on the topic of protein, do you guys have anything to say, especially just, you know, your general population? Yeah, so I suppose the for the general population, the recommended daily intake is about 0.75 grams per kg, um, which is quite low. And I suppose that's to prevent a deficiency, which we know isn't particularly common. Um, and the thing is, with women in particular, particularly um, going towards more plant-based diets, is that a lot of women have quite low protein intakes. Um, and I suppose the knock-on effect of this is, you know, decreased like satiety, um, lean body mass. And then in the long term, um, we know that protein also helps support bone health. Um, so especially getting into that older population, we really want to be having more um, more of an optimal um, protein intake. Yeah, and this is also something that I should mention as well, because you mentioned it there in terms of like that lower intake that's generally recommended that whatever 0.75 to 0.8, like you see various numbers thrown around, like that's based on older studies, which, you know, they're not necessarily bad, but using newer techniques like indicator amino acid oxidation tests, um, like we actually now <clears throat> the scientific well i should shouldn't say consensus i was going to say that but the science is generally pointing towards that not being actually adequate you know it's like okay this is the absolute bare minimum but it's actually not even preventing deficiency you know like it's actually not a good place to be at so it is a higher number whether it's one whether it's 1.2 whether it's 1.5 that's to be debated but even at that kind of whatever 0.8 it seems that that's just not a good place to be at right and what's also really important to understand is that protein intake is really just a proxy for amino acid intake right and that sounds like you know it's just pedantics or whatever but we actually care about the individual amino acids more so than the total amount of protein right the total amount of protein you know it matters but the actual amino acids themselves also matter right and the reason I bring that up is because you will have people that are on say a plant-based diet and they'll actually hit the numbers, you know, they'll be like, Oh yeah, I got the 1.2 or 1.5 or whatever it was. And they're like, Oh, I'm doing good, but they won't have actually gotten the full spectrum of the amino acids that we need. Right. So that is something that we need to look into. We will talk about plant-based dieters in a future episode, but I just wanted to bring that up because it's really important to understand that, these are still just generalities. When we're giving these numbers out, there are still, you know, further refinements that we could actually make to really dial this stuff in, you know? Um, but unless either of you guys have anything else to say on protein, we'll move on. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. The next one then is fiber. And I actually think women are a little bit better for this than guys. Um, and we'll get into female specific ones in a second, but in general, fiber is underconsumed in the general population. Like you think of the, you know, how the average person eats, like they maybe get some fiber at their dinner, right? Their, their evening meal. And it's the same with protein, really. They maybe get some protein at their evening meal, the rest, their breakfast, their lunch, they're really just carb heavy meals in, in general. Right. And um, so fiber, that's one that is a, a nutrient of concern for a lot of people. And it does have some pretty beneficial uh, you know, aspects to it in terms of, you know, satiety for one, you know, people are like, Oh, well, actually I, I feel fuller for longer now. I'm actually able to stick to my diet, but also in terms of like health, 
you know, it's, there's a lot of beneficial things and those, especially in relation to, you know, colon cancer, different things like that. Now, there are some issues with it uh, in relation to nutrient deficiencies and uh, because it does actually bind stuff in your gut and that potentially means that those nutrients aren't available for digestion. However, it's actually a bit of a, a null point because the vast majority of the foods that you're going to get like fiber from are also high nutrient foods or high nutrient density foods in general, at least, right? Now, fiber, we generally recommend 10 to 15 grams per thousand calories. You'll find various recommendations online. Like you will find, you know, just generic recommendations. I think it's uh, for men, it's like 35 grams is recommended. And for women, it's like 25 grams or something like that. They are obviously not based on, like they're based on just general average joe and average jane of like oh you're just whatever weight that's this is the number you need to be at we prefer something a bit more in line with either calculating it by weight which is not as refined as calculating it by your overall calorie intake so we just generally recommend 10 to 15 grams per thousand calories because then you can scale that based on your individuality. You know, if you're a very active person, you have a lot of food coming into the digestive system. You now you're going to be like, okay, I should be eating a little bit more fiber. Now that does have to be modified a little bit because some people are going to be on like, you know, 5,000 calories, you know, like Gary, for example, like you, when you're exercising lots, when you're like active, you know, during the summer or whatever, like you could be consuming like 5,000 calories, you know? And if I'm saying you have to eat 15 grams of fiber, for a thousand calories, like, you know, you're not going to have a, a really enjoyable time. <laughs> a lot of the time, you're probably going to feel bloated. You're probably going to feel like crap. And if you can imagine someone like, I don't know, like a, a tour de France athlete or something, you know, they're up at like 10,000 calories per day. I'm not going to be recommending 15 grams per thousand calories. So there is obviously an upper kind of limit to this stuff as well, but it's also not a concern for most people because they're not even getting the basics, right? And the way we would generally look at fiber intake is fruits and vegetables. If you just eat more fruits and vegetables, you know, we can also layer on top of that, like, you know, beans, legumes, you know, lentils, that kind of stuff. Um, but ultimately that's where you're getting your fiber from. So if you just do a general audit of your diet now and go, okay, well, how many fruits and veg am I eating per day? You'll have an idea uh, in some capacity of, where your fiber intake is at right now you can also supplement with fiber there's a variety of fiber supplements out there but we generally think of things in terms of a food first approach which we'll talk about later but in terms of fiber guys what's your recommendations is it just to eat fruit and veg yeah one thing i would say here is that um like with the rest of these nutrients we're talking about inadequacies and deficiencies like technically speaking fiber is not essential okay like you don't actually have to consume fiber it's not something you can be deficient in so to speak and this is a kind of a pedantic point that a lot of low carbon ketogenic diet proponents will pick on they'll say things like carbohydrates and fiber aren't essential therefore don't eat them which is just obviously absolutely absurd you know because what is essential for life is not necessarily what is required to thrive. And that's what we're trying to get you to do here uh, at Triage. We're trying to make recommendations that actually enhance your quality of life and, of course, your lifespan as well. We want you to be as healthy as possible for as long as possible. So simply suge making suggestions 
based on what keeps you alive. <laughs> like that's that's absolute bare minimum. Okay, so like fiber is is not necessary in that you can live without it, but it is absolutely something that is going to improve your digestive health, your uh, cardiometabolic health your long-term risk of uh, colorectal cancer, and many other things, okay? So it's really, really important. So just something to note, because obviously, I know a lot of people are consuming a lot of online health and fitness information, and they might come across those claims about, you know, fiber and uh, carbohydrates not being essential, but that does not mean that they're not extremely beneficial. Yeah, and just, just two things on that. First thing, on like carnivore dieting in general, um, all of those guys have extremely low testosterone and extremely high sex hormone binding globulin because of their diet. So they've basically castrated themselves. So I personally am not going to follow a diet that causes castration. Um, secondly, uh, doesn't sound great to me. Secondly, and look, if you actually want to just ask them, literally ask every single one of these guys, be like, what's your sex hormone binding globulin at? And they'll be like, oh, it's at a 70 or 80. I don't want that, right? Um, secondly, like you can call something non-essential. You can be like, oh, this is a non-essential nutrient, but that's, it actually kind of means nothing because like, for example, again, carbohydrates are a non-essential nutrient, but in your body, they're so essential. Your body actually will make them from everything else, you know? Well, not really fat, but anyway, they will make it from other things, you know? So it's not, it's not right to just say non-essential and think of that meaning it's not necessarily in the diet at all and, and this is the same with fiber like if you just look at your a longer time horizon you know over 80 90 years we could say oh wow these people with low fiber diets they seem to die young right so would you say it's an essential nutrient then versus the people that are like consuming fiber and they're like oh wow they actually seem to live longer because they're not getting these like colorectal cancers etc you know and there are also potential concerns for women obviously this is the female specific stuff and um, in terms of like fiber is you know one of the ways that you actually get rid of like used up hormones and different things in you know the, the i can't even speak in the body and so this is something that we should be concerned with, especially if we are dealing with like hormonal issues, we need to look at, okay, well, how are these hormones actually even getting out of the body? How are we getting rid of them? And you're like, oh, you're consuming a low fiber diet, you know, and this is also potential, like some of those used up estrogens or whatever, they're in different forms, like they can be reabsorbed, and they're not in a beneficial form, we'll call it like some of them are cancerous, some of them are whatever, that's why your body's getting rid of them. So you want to consume enough fiber, right? And um, Nicola, do you have anything to say on fiber? Yeah, definitely. So I, I, I think a lot of my clients still would struggle with getting their, their fiber intake up. And like you said, it is beneficial for many reasons with women's health, health as well. So kind of mopping up, I suppose, that extra excess estrogen metabolites kind of from the intestines and kind of get, getting them out to improve symptoms. But I suppose you know, increasing fiber, what we generally do is kind of take stock of where someone is now. And instead of, I suppose, telling them to kind of eat more fruit and veg, it, it's trying to more look at a kind of a broader um, range of fibers and a broader range of plant-based foods that they can have. So we know that there's a lots of different um, types of fibers and they all have a range of, of functions kind of in our gut and they all, they create, I suppose, a more diverse um, gut microbiota. Um, so it's just I was taking stock where we are now and increasing that slowly as well. 
um, you'll see a lot of people going on to more plant-based diets or, you know, increasing their fiber way too quick and get a lot of gut issues, get a lot of bloating, constipation. Um, so I suppose with an increase in fiber, you also want to be mindful of your water intake um, just to try and, I suppose, kind of mitigate that, that, that increase of fiber in the diet. Um, but what I'll generally focus on is just trying to get more diverse range. So whether that's um, just small things like even getting, you know, a multi-pack of um, peppers, all the different colors. Maybe if you're getting um, white potatoes one week, you're getting sweet potatoes the next. Um, and again, that's just, I suppose, contributing more to that diverse um, gut microbiome um, and as well, introducing people to um more foods as well and kind of get them more interested in having a range of foods instead of sticking to the same fruit and veg every week and sticking to the same pattern of eating every week yeah 100 and like there are literally so many little tips that you can do to increase your fiber intake and this is stuff that we work on with our clients all the time but i remember even gary yourself you said before like uh your laura she just makes like a bean salad type thing and just has it in the fridge and stuff like that so simple if you just have that prepared you're like oh i'm having a meal i can just have like a bit of that on the side and all of a sudden you know you've increased your fiber intake by five ten grams you know just by that little extra few scoops of uh, a bean salad you know so stuff like that so so easy to get your intake up but it just does require thinking outside the box a little bit and going okay well what do i actually need to do you know um but anyway we'll move on to the next one and uh, the next one is iron and in general most people in the world right are low on iron right and the reason i say the world is because this is actually one of the biggest deficiencies in the entire world it actually kills people right in the western world we think of it as like oh like you know someone has low iron they have anemia it's no big deal like we'll get them some iron not a big deal right but you can imagine if you are in the i don't know the congo i don't actually know if the congo has a low iron but i know in certain places in africa they do have lower iron intake like this this could be the thing that actually kills you you know and um, so we have to look at that stuff we have to realize that this is potentially a big issue across the globe but we also have to realize that in the western world it can be both easy to get enough iron and also quite hard to get enough iron. And the reason I say that is because if you eat a lot of red meat, it's probably going to be very easy to get sufficient iron, you know? Whereas if you are on a plant-based diet, you know, it's a little bit harder. You need to actually think about this stuff, right? And I always, like, generally, I'm just like, look, eat red meat twice per week. You should probably have your iron intake covered, right? And we're not actually going to give, like, a specific iron recommendation because in general, this is something that you should actually look at with your doctor or in coordination with your doctor. And with that in mind, seeing as I am the only one here that is not in some way a doctor, um, Gary, Gary has his progress bar. He's like, you know, he's, you know, whatever, he's at 30% now, you know, but he's in some way a doctor. Um, what's the story with iron, guys? Yeah, so I suppose um, for for women in particular, there's there's huge um, iron deficiency rates among women, and and it often goes um, undiagnosed, I suppose, until they're really symptomatic, um, or until their hemoglobin drops, and at that point, it's come turns into I suppose iron deficiency anemia. Um, but women, I suppose, have lower iron intakes for I suppose two reasons. 
one, we're losing blood monthly with our period. Um, and then secondly, um, a lot of women don't really eat a lot of red meat. Um, so it's kind of two, two main reasons there. And then you there's other reasons why you might have iron deficiency, whether it's like inflammatory bowel disease, celiac, um, you know, other medical conditions. But for women, it seems like blood loss from menstruation and um, diet seem to be the two biggest factors for iron deficiency. Um, iron deficiency then I suppose um, symptoms that you're looking out for will be tiredness, um, fatigue, um, shortness of breath, reduced exercise tolerance, kind of restless legs, that sort of thing. Um, and again, th so it can be a while to diagnosis because you might brush this off as, as something else. Um, but it is something I suppose if you are experiencing those symptoms to get checked with, with your doctor. 100%. And like most people, you know, you're not necessarily going to notice this. You're not going to correlate it. You're not going to go, oh, like, like, it's not intuitive. You're not going to go, oh, actually, I need some iron in my diet. How did I not, not realize this? You know, you're not going to notice that. You know, you might notice it if you say, for example, like I give blood, like you might give blood and they might be like, oh, actually, you know, there's something to, to look into here, you know. Um, but other than that, like if you are a woman, you just have to pay more attention to this. Now, what I will bring up and the reason I bring this up is because you know, we're all Irish, at least I know myself and Gary are, you know, Nicola, you could be, you know, a sleeper agent over there, but <laughs> uh, we're Irish. And there's a few issues with iron in, in Ireland, at least in terms of like hemochromatosis. Right. And um, so what's the story there? Cause I only know really, this is yeah, completely an aside. I only really know about hemochromatosis purely by virtue of the fact that the Celts uh, brought it to Ireland and it's actually an adaptive Thing because generally iron in the Irish diets or the Irish landscape is a little bit lacking. So uh, it was a beneficial thing. But in today's society, not so much potentially. So what's the story there? Yeah. yeah. So, oh, sorry. No, sorry. Go, go ahead, doctor. Take it away. Take it away. <laughs> well, I was just going to say that like hemochromatosis, like as you say, it's something that is quite common in Ireland. And it's typically important for this podcast, I suppose it's typically thought of as being a a male disease you know people often think of uh, men being associated with hemochromatosis and that's actually valid to some degree because effectively what keeps hemochromatosis at bay for most women for menstruating women is that blood loss so it's almost therapeutic because the the therapy for hemochromatosis um would be you know phlebotomy or it's one of the options where you effectively you know take blood out and then therefore that keeps the iron overload at bay so that's effectively happening physiologically for women you just um, say first of all hemochromatosis is iron overload so yeah i was going to get to that just <laughs> Yeah, so it's 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 iron overload. It results from mutation the the HFE gene, which is involved in um, iron storage, um, and as you say, very common in Ireland. So you effectively get iron overload. That can lead to like many different complications because anytime you've got any of these um, nutrient overloads or mineral overloads, etc., the it tends to result in the deposition of that in um, tissues. So it's ectopic deposition. So that could be hemochromatosis. Uh, Wilson's disease and various other diseases. Um, so yeah, effectively that's kept at bay um, in women up to the postmenopausal period. And that's when hemochromatosis will become uh, manifest. So you can have too much iron, um, but you're not getting there through diet. That's the really important thing because some people I've had clients, uh, Irish clients who've gone to their doctors and they've seen that their iron levels are really high and they come back and the, you know, their doctors get, gets the impression that hemochromatosis be, could be a consideration. And then they come back to me and say, 
oh, you know, how could we change the diet? Like we could probably just get this by, down by just reducing our intake, but it, it's, it's not so simple. You know, it's a little more complicated than that. 100%. And also just on that, people saying that, oh, it's mainly a, a male disease. Like I've never seen it in men and I've trained a lot of Irish clients and I've seen it in two women that I've trained. So the reason I bring that up is because not to say like, oh, if you're a man, don't fucking care about it. But what I'm saying is this is something that regardless of your sex or gender or whatever, you need to look out for it, you know? Um, but again, is this one of those things where you're just not going to know until one day you're waking up and you're like, oh, I'm so fucking tired or like, how, how are you going to notice? Like, are there any symptoms? Yeah. Like you can get symptoms, but it generally takes, um, well, it depends if you're homozygous or heterozygous. So like you can have very severe hemochromatosis and become uh, symptomatic early on in life, but you can get, you can get multiple different symptoms. One of the things that's quite common is, um, you know, cardiotoxicity. So you get deposition of the iron in the heart. You can also get it in uh, the liver um, and various other places. I think the heart and the liver are the two main ones. What do you think, Nicola? Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, like tiredness, kind of fatigue, like impotence in men, um, menstrual cycle irregularities in women, all them will probably present a little bit before that. But mm. um, well, yeah, and mood disturbance as well will be, will be another one. They'd probably present first, I'd say. Um, but yeah, you can get, get all of them. And this is why it's important to talk to your doctor about this stuff, you know, while we can manipulate things with the diet, like ultimately if you have excess iron or you have low iron, this is still something that we need to look into. It's not a case of, Oh, I'm a woman. I probably have low iron. I'll just, you know, take an iron supplement, whatever, like anyone, like that's just not a, a great protocol to do. You know, iron is not something to just be like, Oh yeah, I'll just, you know, take an excess amount of it. You know, you need to have a, a good understanding of why and how much you're taking different things, you know? Um, but anyway, look, we won't spend too much more time on iron in general. I just tell people eat red meat twice per week. It seems to be a good, you know, catch all, you know, you can eat it more, more red meat, you know, throughout the week, but in general, that's good. We will come on to you when we're talking about plant-based eaters, we'll come on to like how we think about iron and that maybe, in this episode but probably in the next episode you know and the next one then is iodine right and this is something that you know especially europeans this is probably i I think it's one of the the highest nutrient or one of the highest concerned nutrients uh deficiencies in in europe you know because really the only place you're getting iodine in the diet at least is from like seafood you know it's from like or I shouldn't say seafood. Yeah, well, seafood probably does it, but sea produce in general, like seaweed, you know, you do get some from fish and stuff. But in general, like Europeans surprisingly don't eat a huge amount of fish. Like Irish people don't eat a huge amount of fish, you know, don't eat a huge amount of like seaweed, that kind of stuff, despite living on an island, you know? So, you know, Gary like didn't eat fish until he was like 25. Um, <laughs> barely do. I eat salmon. You know? And um, so it's surprising that or I should say it's not surprising that if we don't consume the stuff from the only place we really get iodine in the diet, you're not going to have enough iodine. Right. And now a lot of governments do stuff like iodize or iodinate um, certain foods and they do like iodinized salt, for example. Um, they do like milk products. Like I think it was Switzerland was the first country in Europe to iodinize their, their food. Cause the Swiss are just fucking, absolute chads um but also like they're literally a landlocked country in the fucking alps you know of course they're not going to have enough iodine 
And there are some major issues with not having enough iodine. But again, as I'm not a doctor, I'm not going to touch on that. But before I, you know, push this over to either of the one trainee doctor and one actual doctor, um, in general, like the, the recommendations for iron intake is in around 150 MCG per day, right? Now, you don't need to remember that. You don't need to think about that because we generally don't think of this stuff, especially as humans, but also as coaches, we're not looking at this stuff as, oh, this is the exact amount you should concern. We're going to look at what foods are we eating and are we getting enough of it through that? And we'll talk about that a little bit later on towards the end of the podcast. But in general, the way you're probably going to get iodine in the diet is some sort of ionized salt. Now, in Ireland, you would think it would just be the normal salt, like the normal table salt. But a lot of the time it isn't. And a lot of the time, like we often recommend switching to something like a, a low salt. So a low sodium uh, salt, like you know, low salt is the brand. It's just a potassium based salt. And that isn't ionized either. So, you know, you need to look into that stuff. Um, but there are also iodine fortified products. Again, depends on the country. A lot of milk sometimes in different countries, they'll add iodine to it. But again, if you're on something like a plant-based diet, you might not be consuming uh, milk, you know? So if you're consuming a low sodium diet and you're not, you're, and you're doing like a plant-based diet, those two big hitters, they might be gone. So it is something to think about. However, I think that, well, I, I suppose it might be. Um, people that are on plant-based diets generally tend to eat a little bit more like varied uh, nutrients in their diet, varied sources. So you might actually get more like seaweed and stuff, or you could just do the absolute Chad move, which is consume a load of sushi throughout the week. And you get a load of uh, <laughs> uh, sea based produce, both in terms of seaweed and then actual like fish as well. Um, but anyway, look, I'll hand it over to you guys. Iodine. If we're deficient in iodine, what's the story there? What, what issues come up? Yeah, so I think for um, a lot of these nutrients, it, they're not something I'd get overly worried about. And I think if you're if you're listening to this kind of for yourself, like thinking about, you know, whether you're deficient in iodine or not, um, there, there's a few I suppose, diff, different cohorts that I'd be most concerned with iodine. So it would be people with plant based diets, um, it would be people that are hypothyroid um, and then maybe people considering pregnancy as well. So I suppose those are three that will be the most important to consider for. Um, so yeah, like iodine is needed for, you know, fertility. Um, it's needed for the growing fetus. Um, it's also needed to make, you know, your thyroid hormones. So T3, T4 and TSH. Um, so yeah, if you, deficiency in that can be pretty significant um, if you're, if you're any, any of those cohorts. And as far as I'm aware, iodine and DHA are the two biggest correlates with childhood intelligence. So if you want smart children, get your iodine in. Um, Gary, to say on iodine, look, because realistically, we could spend an entire episode going through every single one of them going to it. But do you mind to say on that, Gary, now? No, you don't need to start tracking your iodine intake. You know, you'll be grand probably. <laughs> See, this is also the thing. Look, you can make very simple changes. You can yeah. go, okay, actually, I'm going to you know, switch to an iodinized salt. Boom, no issue there. Like it's a very small amount that you need to get. Maybe eat some sort of you know, sea produce, like seaweed, whatever, sometime throughout the week. Like you literally, well, in uh, England at least, like you can get like kelp crisps and stuff like that i haven't really seen them in ireland and um, but i know you can get them they're actually quite tasty um so like you can do 
stuff like that. Very simple, not a huge concern, but you can also do something which kind of goes against what we generally talk about, which is a food first approach, but you could just take a multivitamin and in general, you're going to get enough iodine through that. We'll talk about that later on. You know, the other thing I suppose with it is, um, if you think you might be deficient in iodine, don't start milling a whole load of seaweed as well. Um, so I mean that that can have its own issues. But you know, just in case you decide to go out, and not not a good idea. Not a yeah. good idea. And this is also something as well you should, I should mention because you know you see these things online where someone will say like, oh, iodine is associated with like you know. Uh, proper functioning thyroid and you go oh actually i have a thyroid issue and never diagnosed with a thyroid issue but you're like oh i'm struggling to lose fat it must be my sluggish thyroid or whatever and then all of a sudden you're like that's what i'm going to do and that's the intervention i'm going to do i'm going to just get as much iodine into my diet and again we need to think about this stuff on a spectrum we don't want to have too little but also too much is also not as bad or is just as non-beneficial um, as well you know but anyway, look, we'll move on from iodine. The next one is vitamin D. And this is something as we are, again, all Irish, this is something we do not get enough of. Most people are just deficient in vitamin D to varying levels. Again, there is some, whatever you want to call it, there is some back and forth about what the actual deficiency level is. For example, in Europe, we have a lower level um, set point. We're like, oh, this is the level that below this. You know, it's, you know, it, it's deficient. Whereas in America, they have a, it's at a higher uh, level. And that's, there's reasons for that, but we don't need to get into them. And um, so it depends on where you are in the world. It also depends on ethnicity. It also depends on a whole host of factors. But in general, we're not getting enough vitamin D because the major way we get vitamin D in the normal world is from sunlight, you know? So you can imagine like today I'm in London and you know, completely overcast, like I'm whatever, nine stories up or whatever. And I feel like I'm in a cloud, you know, like I'm not producing any vitamin D here today because I literally can't even see the sun, you know? And so you need to get some sunlight, direct sunlight on the skin to actually synthesize that vitamin D. So if you're not getting that, especially during the winter, especially if you live in Ireland and it pisses rain for whatever, 300 days per year, like you're just not going to get enough just from the the sunlight alone unless you are doing stuff like okay it's sunny out today i'm gonna go out and i'm gonna sunbathe and you know you're gonna do that whenever you get the opportunity now the thing about that is there's obviously a higher risk of skin cancer from doing that and there's also the fact that you can only actually synthesize a certain amount in a given day <clears throat> this is also interesting as well people always think like oh you need to go out and get tanned to get enough uh, vitamin d but actually you synthesize your vitamin d before you even get tanned you know, like you don't even need to get tanned to synthesize your vitamin D, you know? Um, but I digress. It's basically going to be very hard to get adequate vitamin D if you are living in a northerly uh, European country, you live in Canada, maybe you live in Russia, whatever, right? It's going to be quite hard to get that. But also if you work in an office all day, like you could live in Spain, you know, but if you work in an office all day and you never get sun on your skin, you still have the potential to be deficient in it. Now, the thing about the good thing about vitamin D is that it is fat soluble. So your body can effectively store it for later. And um, so you really only need to make sure that at least, you know, during the summer months, you get some sun on your skin. Um, but in general, I would at least generally recommend 
you know, well, I would recommend generally getting some blood work and assessing this stuff, but that's, that's just me. But in general, like you can pretty much safely consume a thousand to 5,000 IUs. Now I wouldn't generally recommend 5,000. It's probably excessive for most. Um, but a thousand to 2000 IUs of vitamin D3, just in a supplement form, you know, especially throughout the winter, maybe you just drop it off during the summer when there is a bit more, more sun in, in the, you know, the sky. Um, but what are your, what are your guys thoughts on this vitamin D? Yeah. So with vitamin D, it's probably one of the, the only things that I nearly make a blanket recommendation for people to supplement with. Um, so it, it is found like in small amounts in, in food. So like, you know, oily fish or egg yolk, fortified um, food cereals, but they're, the intake is generally insufficient. Um, and so it is one of those ones that I would nearly make a blanket recommendation, particularly during the winter months somewhere like Ireland, um, and I, vitamin D is really topical as well at the minute in terms of COVID. Um, and it comes up a lot in terms of autoimmune diseases as well. Like you'll see a lot of deficiencies in like celiac, um, in thyroid disorders as well. Um, pregnancy is another big one um, that having inadequate levels um, isn't definitely isn't optimal for Um so and as well, I know we're going to talk a little bit later about calcium, but for the absorption of calcium as well, we need adequate, adequate vitamin D. Um, so particularly for women, um, we know that we have decreased bone mineral density as we get older. Um, so we really need enough vitamin D to be able to absorb calcium just to maintain um, bone mineral density. 100%. So get your D in, that's all I'll say. <laughs> Thanks, say, Gary no sir that sounds good to me <clears throat> the next nutrient of concern and again this is just general population now all of this stuff does still apply to women but just general population here vitamin b12 as well is one that you know most people are just not getting enough of and generally we're finding this in animal products and and or fortified products you know so there's a lot of like grains and stuff like if you get cereal like you get your whatever nestle's wheatos or whatever like they're generally fortified they generally fortify it with stuff like the b vitamins including b12 but in general we're probably only getting this in a quote-unquote normal diet from animal products and again you don't actually need a huge amount of this it's like 2.2.4 mcg um but Again, I don't want you to be thinking of, oh, well, I got 2.2 today. I need to like calculate this stuff out. You don't need to think about that stuff. All you need to know is if you're eating, generally speaking, animal produce, like if you're eating our protein recommendations and you're getting it in a mixed, like, you know, omnivorous diet, you're probably good to go. You don't need to think about this too much. You know, if you are a plant-based dieter, you probably need to think about this a little bit more. But again, we'll talk about that in the, the plant-based section, unless Nicola, unless you have anything to say on uh, B12 right now. No, not really. I suppose it's important for, um, you know, proper kind of nerve functioning and for the production of red blood cells as well. Um, it's really debilitating deficiency to have. Um, but like you said, it's not something to really worry about for the general population. It's more um, older age um and for i um plant-based vegan diets as well but it can be pretty easy um nutritional yeast um is a really good one to to have if you're someone with a vegan diet um it's a very nice cheesy taste i don't know if you guys are aware um so it's a, a good way to get your your b12 in um i would try all these things i'll literally eat anything if you gave me a plate of fish eyes i'd probably eat it gary on the other hand he's definitely like oh no jizz but i wouldn't eat that no there if you said to me you know 
Oh, it has a lovely cheesy taste. I'd be like, there's cheddar in the fridge. I'll eat the cheddar. It's <laughs> so boring. <laughs> anyway, um, it is also something that, again, there are specific populations that this might also be a bit more of a concern for. Like if you have some sort of digestive issues, celiac, like you mentioned, that kind of stuff, like there is, there are some things that we need to be a bit more concerned of. We're not talking about them in this episode but I just wanted to bring that up. The next one that is, again, in the general population, nutrient of concern, it's calcium. Um, and look, I think the vast majority of people these days, they know where calcium comes from because there's a big push, but I'm going to go through it anyway. You know, um, like, well, first of all, we need about 1,000 milligrams per day, right? Now, you can argue more, you can argue less, depending on the population. Um, and obviously, if your doctor or someone is saying, look, you need to consume more of this because, you know, whatever it is, osteoporosis or just some sort of risk there that you're like i need to consume more of this but in general a thousand milligrams that's all we need and um, you potentially need more going through puberty after menopause but again most people know where to get calcium from the diet we're talking dairy products we're talking like you know fish with bones in them like i eat kippers kippers absolute shad of a uh, fish just in case anyone is wondering traditional irish meal just saying um there's bones in that, but they're soft bones. So you can just eat them. You don't even notice them, you know, so you do get some more calcium from that. Plants um, generally aren't a great source of calcium. However, you can like, first of all, they do contribute to your intake and you can also make better plant choices so that you are getting more calcium. Now they do contain stuff like phytic acid, which, you know, isn't great for like the absorption of calcium. But again, we have to think about this stuff in a, a whole diet, you know, it's like, okay, look, you know, it's inhibiting absorption a little bit, but I'm getting more because of X, Y, Z interventions, not a huge issue. And then it's also, like you said, protein does help with the absorption of calcium as well. So we can't just look at these nutrients in isolation. We need to look at them as like, what's the bigger picture here? So calcium, you guys have anything else to say? Cause I, like we can go into more depth in the, uh, female specific stuff because you know it makes sense but if you want to talk about the reason that women might necessarily want to focus on calcium a bit more now look i'm all game yeah so like i was saying for um women i going more towards the perimenopause menopausal age i was laying down the the foundations with calcium and maintaining um bone mineral density when you're younger um is really important um I know we're going to go through it later, but you're not just looking at calcium, you're looking at your vitamin D, you're looking at your magnesium, protein intake, resistance training. Um, but laying down that foundation now is particularly important. Um, and as well, a lot of, like we said, a lot of people are going more towards plant-based, so they might not be getting um, calcium in. So it's just about identifying where are you getting that from? Um, not ne Again, not necessarily um supplementing i'd encourage not supplementing because it is it is quite easy to get it through the diet um but it's quite easy to get through the, the diet but a lot of people don't i suppose is 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 where we're going hmm. there are i can't even speak there are also actually potential issues if you do supplement like there are things around like heart disease and gary can probably talk to that a little bit better than i can um but in general from at least my understanding of the research like supplementing with calcium is potentially negative in terms of like arterial calcification. And that's to do with the speed at which you then get that calcium into the system. Like you're eating it with, you know, uh, a meal, like it's in this whole like food matrix and everything, like it's not getting into the bloodstream as quickly in just like 
it's calcium form. Like it's like, oh, you have to you know, break things down. It's being dripped out into the bloodstream, etc. And so there are some issues there with supplementing. But again, it depends on the, the risk factors. Like if you are someone that has a risk of dying in the next five years because of a hip fracture, and I'd be like, all right, like, well, like I probably care more about making sure that your calcium is uh, in a good place rather than worrying about, oh, well, in the next 50 years of this calcium supplementation, you know, we have a, a heart disease potential risk here. But Gary, do you have anything to say on that? Yeah, I suppose like one thing is, is just because we discussed this um, in our group chat with the other coaches the other day, just it, it was just calcium just happened to come up that someone had had a blood test and basically the calcium was maybe a little bit low, slightly below or on the lower end of the normal range. And one of the questions was, you know, should this person supplement, you know, should this person start to increase their calcium intake? And one of the things I think that's really, really important to understand that can be very difficult to understand if you haven't like studied physiology is that the representation of these nutrients when we, when they're measured in the blood, like they're not even measured as, as interesting because they're nutrients. It's because of the effects that they have within the body. So if someone gets a measurement of serum calcium, let's say, and that's high or low, the, you're not thinking the next step. Oh, I wonder what their diet is like. It's like, what else could be going on? You're measuring other parameters like parathyroid hormone. You might measure vitamin D and all these different things that would modify calcium levels in the body. So that can be really difficult to understand because it's very much a dynamic system in that if you're measuring the level of one thing, it could be the result of multiple other things that are going on underneath. So this is why we encourage people to speak to their doctors and not to just view the body is just this simple system where if something is low, you can supplement and fix it. Unfortunately, um, things aren't so simple. So if you, you know, happen to do your own blood testing or whatever it happens to be, and your calcium is way off, don't think you can just fix it, fix it with a, a supplement or reducing calcium intake, even go to your doctor, get proper testing done if needed and start it out that way. And this is actually really important because especially stuff like the minerals and the stuff like calcium, for example, like your bones are effectively your body's store of calcium, right? So you could have a perfectly normal blood level of calcium, but you're actually getting it from your bones, you know, which is not ideal. <laughs> that's not ideally, that's not what we want. So even if you're bang on perfect in the quote unquote optimal perfect range on a blood test, that doesn't mean that something negative isn't actually occurring, you know? So this stuff is a little bit more complicated than just looking at a blood test, looking at some numbers and going, cool, we're all good. We're in this nice range. You know, there is more to it, which is why we generally recommend just focusing on the food that you eat and, you know, letting the, letting the cards fall where they may, you know? Um, but look, let's move on to vitamin A. Vitamin A, again, this is one that is actually incredibly easy to get in the diet, especially if you're following our other recommendations in terms of, you know, getting enough protein for, for one, um, because, you know, found in some plant foods or sorry, some meat products, but also just eating a variety of plant foods, you know, like if you look at all any of those kind of like orange colors and red colors, like they are caused by basically the, the plant forms of vitamin A, retinol, I can't even speak, today I have them all written down here like basically what we need to get in the diet is 700 mcg or ae which i actually can't remember what or ae stands for but what one one mcg or AA or ae is equivalent to one mcg retinol or two mcg uh, supplemental beta carotene or 12 mcg dietary beta carotene or 24 mcg dietary alpha carotene or beta carotene 
tozanthin. Can't even speak today. Um, but basically, we don't need to look at that stuff, right? Because first of all, I can't read. But second of all, it actually doesn't matter a huge amount if you are actually just focusing on getting a variety of plants in the diet, leafy green vegetables, orange and yellow vegetables, tomato products, like different fruits. And, you know, you can even get it in some vegetable oils. You can also get it, especially in the more uh, meat-based products from stuff like liver organs. You know, that's where you're going to get it. Like liver has a huge amount of all of these different nutrients. Like if you wanted to give yourself like the fastest way to give yourself like vitamin A toxicity or even vitamin D toxicity is going to be eating a load of liver or go up to the North Pole and eat some polar bear liver because that they are literally like that's, you know, a good whack of uh, um, nutrients in that, but also in eggs and dairy, that kind of stuff, right? So vitamin A, what are your guys' thoughts? I just want to hear you read out that uh, beta. Crypto-gentin? <laughs> 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 I just can't get Liver King out of my head after you've spoken. Yeah, I, yeah, I know that. That's all. That's all I'm. Primals. This bulging abs. Are you eating liver and bone marrow? Yet? Liver is actually delicious, though. That's the thing. Like he's ruining it for all of us. Yeah, I know. It's just. It's just yeah, so... I don't know. I don't know. But I think it was already. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not I, I've eat. I've kind of forced myself to eat, eat it a, few, a good few times. I mean, you see it, but yeah, I'm absolutely yeah, the it. chad of all organ meats. Yeah, the male urge to eat liver. <laughs> no, the male urge to eat raw testicles. <laughs> it's the masculine yeah. urge. We don't say male, we say yeah, masculine. That's, that's the meme. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, there if you if you want to go and eat liver, you know, please be my guest. But do do actually be mindful seriously of the fact that you you can actually genuinely give yourself um too much vitamin A or vitamin A toxicity from consuming too much um liver there are you know genuine case reports of that happening but i think that one of the case reports i think we discussed this in the podcast before patty was someone who ate polar bear liver and then literally two it happens all the time like people will (laughs) say all the time but it has happened throughout history where you know uh, someone will be up in the northern arctic circle or whatever and they're like, all right, fuck, we're dying. We we need to survive. They'll kill a polar bear. And they're like, right, well, we're just going to make sure that we eat as much of this as possible. And they'll eat the, the liver and they'll get like 30,000 units uh, <laughs> of vitamin A. And they'll actually be in a worse position than when they were like starving, you know? So like there's loads of case reports of that. Or more likely there's loads of case reports of, oh, these guys, they just fucking died up in the Arctic Circle after eating polar bear, you know? Yeah, so if you want to eat your organ meats, you know, a couple of times a week is fine. But I mean, even if you're even if you're just eating a mixed diet, you know, plenty of of plants as as Patty said, all the um, colorful vegetables is a great shout. And then you know, eggs and dairy and other meats as well also contain vitamin A, so it's not just the liver. So you'll you'll probably be fine. There are some, to be fair, there are some uh, you know variations um, in how people convert plant based um, vitamin A to animal based vitamin A retinol um but probably not of much clinical significance if you're eating a, a, a complete diet overall 100 and also we can just acknowledge that the the chad sorry Lick, did you want to jump in no 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 you're grand i was just gonna say and then bringing it back to the ladies um for there's implications for your pregnancy um and a prenatal as well which we will get onto in another episode but um i just wanted to interrupt and say that uh the chad uh british uh, or af pilots telling the germans that uh 
they uh, just consumed a lot of carrots for their eyesight when in reality they had radar. You know, that's during World War II. That's what they were doing. But it does bring up the point that vitamin A and all those retinol, retinoic, whatever, like they're all, they are associated with better eyesight. You know, that's why people say like, oh, eat your carrots and you'll be able to see better in the dark. First of all, that's somewhat of a lie that they just told to the Germans, but it is somewhat of a truth as well in terms of, yeah, yeah. like it can actually (laughs) help, you know, your eyesight does depend on this stuff. Um, But anyway, look, as you said, there are some fertility things in, in relation to this, but then also actual like pregnancy things in relation to vitamin a so we'll cover that in future the next nutrient then is magnesium most people just don't get enough magnesium but also this is a really really simple fix because you basically just need to eat vegetables you know it's like this is where magnesium is in the diet it's in your vegetables like you could argue that some of it is in your water supply like i'm in in london as i said and like we have heavy water uh, here so you are actually technically getting more of these different minerals in that even though you know it's pretty awful when you're like trying to wash your hair and stuff you're like oh you can actually feel like the difference um but you do get uh, some magnesium from your water intake especially if you buy like bottled water or whatever like you'll see them list all the the different uh, elements and whatever on the side of it and um, but in general we're just looking at green leafy vegetables for our magnesium intake um and we really only need about 310 milligrams of magnesium per day now there are you know, potential reasons we might consume more. There are potential reasons that we would be more concerned with, you know, focusing on magnesium in the diet, but, you know, we don't necessarily need to talk about them. But I will say as well that there are certain like, you know, foods in the general food supply, like breakfast cereals and stuff that are, you know, fortified with um, magnesium. But in general, it's really not that hard to get enough magnesium in the diet if you're just eating some fruits and vegetables. So guys, do you have anything to say on magnesium? Um, yeah. So for, again, for, for women, you know, we need enough magnesium to be able to absorb and process vitamin D. So again, that has knock on effects of bone mineral density. Um, and as well with some clients who might have really debilitating PMS symptoms, um, PCOS, even endometriosis, um, magnesium supplementation, you know, can be really useful um, in, in, in that regard. So kind of supplementing with magnesium. And then there's been some studies that supplement with magnesium and B6 has um, better outcomes again um, for those kind of debilitating symptoms. So it is, it is something that's quite interesting. And anecdotally, I know with some of my clients that have been um, supplemented on magnesium um, and B6, their symptoms have, the PMS symptoms have improved um, stress and sleep as well. So, um, absolutely you can get it through diet. Um, but if, if you just identifying those, those people that kind of might be at risk of deficiencies is important. It is also one of those nutrients where it's not like you have to go really overboard to see issues with this. And you're probably more likely to see like gastrointestinal issues with it by just like slamming a load of magnesium, especially if it's in something like a magnesium oxide form, like you're going to get more, uh, let's just say, uh, you're going to go to the toilet a bit more uh, frequently than you would like. (laughs) Um, so magnesium, great nutrient. It is actually, you know, ATP in our body is actually bound to magnesium. And this is why you see things like, uh, you know, relaxation, you know, people often think of like, oh, ATP, surely that means energy, but you actually need 
ATP to relax things as well. Like you actually need energy. You need to spend a little bit of energy to relax certain things down. This is why you see, you know, certain uh, populations benefit from this. You know, you might have like a load of cramping or something. And all of a sudden you get more magnesium in and you're like, oh, actually I don't have as much cramping or it's not as severe. So magnesium is fantastic for a lot of different things. Again, we won't you know, belabor the point, just get enough magnesium, eat your fruit and vegetables. It usually gets the issue sorted. Again, then we might look at it and go, okay, maybe we want to supplement at certain times or in certain populations, you know? The next one then is potassium. We actually need quite a lot of potassium um, and it is one of those nutrients that people just don't really get a lot of in the diet, um, which, you know, it is beneficial for a lot of different things, but especially in relation to heart disease and blood pressure. Um, and we really need about 2,600 milligrams. And we're going to get that from fruits, vegetables. Potatoes are actually really high. People always think of like uh, bananas, but potatoes are actually like way higher. Um, and then also stuff like uh, potassium salt, like we talked about earlier on, that low salt, you know, switching out your sodium-based salt for a potassium-based salt really does help ensure that your potassium you know, levels are adequate. And like traditionally, we've probably needed about like a a 10 to one or a 15 to one ratio of potassium to sodium, or at least I shouldn't say needed. That's what we've consumed in the diet. And nowadays, like those numbers are probably the exact opposite. You know, we're probably getting 10 to one sodium to potassium. So that's not really beneficial. And again, like we talked about at the start of this, like certain animals will have, you know, a uh, uh, desire. They'll be like, okay, I can sense a nutrient that I need in my diet. And they'll go to get sodium, for example, they'll go to a salt lick. And we don't have any of that for potassium because we have that for sodium. You know, you might notice you're like, oh, I like I have a craving for some salty things. And that's your body saying, OK, I need to consume some sodium. Now, it's not always sometimes that craving is just for delicious food that just happens to be salty. Um, but your body does have that little bit of a sense for requiring sodium. We don't have that for potassium because throughout our entire evolution, we've just always consumed high amounts of potassium like regardless of the type of diet that we're eating they all contain high potassium except for the modern kind of diets that we've you know made which are relatively low in potassium especially if you're on the kind of standard american diet or standard western diet and you're not eating a lot of fruit and vegetables like your potassium intake can get like really quite low you know and um, so do you guys have anything to say on potassium not much, really. I mean, just kind of reiterating the point. Basically, everything that I said that's true of calcium and measuring that in the blood is is true of potassium. It's it's complicated. It's regulated by many different systems. And, you know, speak to your doctor if you've got problems. Fantastic. And then the next one is vitamin E. We need about 11 uh, milligrams. And we get this from nuts, seeds. We also get it from like vegetable oils, which again, if you listen to certain uh, populations in the health and fitness community, you know, seeds, nuts, vegetable oils, they're being like vilified, um, but they don't offer another solution about where you're going to get your vitamin E from, you know, well, liver king does because there is some vitamin E in, in the liver. There is actually another guy who eats brains. Um, oh, he's disgusting. Right? I followed him and I actually think I need to unfollow him because some of the videos actually make me feel ill because he doesn't even look like he's enjoying it. At least Liver King, he gets all pumped up. But this guy's just eating a brain and he's like, it's fucking rotten. Like, I haven't what? found this part of the internet yet. Oh, I'm going to send it. You have to send me the link. Raw, raw meat experiment. That guy, Paddy, yeah? <laughs> yeah. 
He's I'm probably so scared of like a prion disease. Like I literally fear no man. But a prion disease, like you, you're just fucked. You got nothing. Quite spelled Jacob. It's, it's such a horrible disease to put yourself at risk of. Like, I don't care how much you like brain. Nah. But anyway, look, don't eat brain. Well, I'm sure you know some people get enjoyment. I know people like in Scotland. I think it is they eat lamb's brain. You know, I'm sure it's. Look, I would try it for sure, but I'd still be scared of getting a prion disease. Yeah. But anyway, vitamin E, get your nuts, your seeds, um, and your vegetable oils. Um, and vitamin K, you need about 90 MCG of this. And get this from green leafy vegetables, again, vegetable oils, and some fruits. Um, this is beneficial for a number of things. You don't necessarily need to get into it because we're really just talking about how we get this stuff in the diet at the moment you know the next one is choline and i actually think choline is a really important nutrient like it's a what's it called a conditionally essential nutrient it's a quasi vitamin um but choline we need about 425 milligrams you get this in the chad liver um you get it in meat poultry fish dairy products and eggs right choline really beneficial nutrient Do you guys have anything to say on choline because there is loads look we could get into the really nitty-gritty of this stuff there are things in relation to brain health there are things in relation to heart health related to choline and um, i don't know if you either of you guys want to get into that no not today fantastic and <laughs> um, the next one then is uh, omega-3s and we talk about this all the time on the podcast most people are just not consuming enough omega-3s especially gary because he's afraid of fish um <laughs> So roughly about one to five grams per day. Now you can see, you can go on so many different, you know, websites and different things and be like, oh, well, what's the amount of DHA and what's the amount of EPA we need? And again, we can look at deficiency levels and then we can look at these more optimal levels. And generally speaking, look, if you take one gram per day of omega-3s, you're probably in a good place. You're not going to be deficient, but certain populations are going to need more. And in general, if we're talking about, you're trying to optimize your health, like we're probably talking about three grams as like, that's a really good place to be at. You know, you're like, okay, I've really made sure everything is dialed in. Five grams is like that kind of like, okay, I want to, you know, there might be a small extra little sliver of a benefit from slightly more. There's no real downside. And um, so, you know, you could go up that high. Like I personally take five grams. I have ADHD. I notice a difference in terms of uh when i take stop fucking laughing gary at my mental illness <laughs> right then the listeners know the listeners know don't worry well i have to say like people literally listen to this all the time for the first time ever gary you're right no i don't mean i don't mean could you say it i mean just listening to you speak man they know you have adhd continue <laughs> i'm not neurotypical like you fuck's sake gary i'm neurodivergent on the other side sitting here like uh yeah because well, no, you, no, 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 you have uh, depression that's a different thing <laughs> Um, but anyway, uh, omega threes, like I notice a difference if I take omega threes at the five gram versus the three gram range. So like certain populations are going to notice a difference. Certain populations are going to require more. This is also very true of like we talked about earlier on, like developing fetuses, feed eye, whatever the, whatever pearl of that <laughs> is, um, you know, you might be like, all right, actually, I want to make sure that they are getting enough DHA, especially for brain development. EPA, I always often think of it as more of a, a heart health uh, component because it has a lot more vascular stuff, uh, vascular benefits um, and heart benefits. But DHA, it's all about the brain, you know? Um, so there are certain things that we would 
potentially or certain reasons we would potentially want to focus on omega-3s in the diet, certain populations, especially if you are planning on getting pregnant, especially if you are pregnant. And again, generally, I recommend just, uh, again, a food first approach, just eating some sort of fatty fish one to two times per week. You know, you probably get enough that way. Again, it depends on the exact type of fish, the quantity, etc. But it's also generally not that harmful to consume, you know, some fish oil, some omega-3 capsules, per day. There are also uh, plant-based options for that, which Nicola, you can get into now in a second. Um, but just in general, look, more, most people could do with consuming a little bit more omega-3s in the diet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so a, a lot of women like don't either, again, through plant-based diet, or a lot of people just don't, don't eat fish. Um, and I know I've, I've a good few clients, even though you might give recommendations of eating fish, they just won't like Gary probably just will, will just supplement because they don't enjoy eating it. You only started eating fish like three weeks ago. don't Yeah. You? Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> it's like that. It's like that vegan. So and darts. She's allowed. She's allowed like, a, you know, lord it over you because yeah. she's doing it right now. They're going to start her evolution next week. She's going to yeah, have bull literally. testicle videos. <laughs> yeah, look, I'm, I'm making up for all those laws years okay don't worry about it don't worry about it Continue. <laughs> um but yeah a lot, lot, lot of people don't consume it so we need to look at where we're getting it then um and for you know vegans vegetarians um you can you can get it from from the diet i mean from like chia seeds flax seeds but it's in ala and needs to be converted and the conversion's like pretty poor um so supplementing um with like an algae supplement is would be probably more beneficial um and then for for women other reasons why like you might need it um like we we're saying like the cognitive benefits um you know maybe in the older age kind of cardioprotective benefits um and as well for women again endometriosis like pms those kind of anti-inflammatory um benefits that it would have is important as well and as we discussed previously omega-3s are primarily stored in the ass so Yes, lest we forget. If you want a huge ass, get your omega threes in. <laughs> uh, like that sounds like I'm joking, but that is you know relative. Well, look, well, <laughs> yeah. acids go wherever the fatty acids want to go, but primarily they are stored in the gluteal femoral area, um, and that is obviously well, I say obvious. It's not really obvious, but that's potentially because it's a good area to store things for a developing child like if you have you were pregnant and this is also goes on to like this the depleted nutrient hypothesis which we'll talk about when we talk about fertility and pregnancy and all that kind of stuff in future and um, but in between pregnancies again people will say stuff like oh i noticed like my my ass is a bit flatter or stuff like that and you know you have to actually replete nutrients that are used up in pregnancy because pregnancy you're literally photocopying a human like it requires resources you know and um, but look we'll talk about that in future um, yeah, we, and we, we should make that a headline and you'll see a huge drop in like the prevalence of veganism i'd say wipes out the whole vegan population <laughs> uh, anyway look the next the next nutrient is folate and, and obviously this you know, people are a little bit more aware of this folate folic acid they're a little bit more aware of this because again there's huge push by you know government organizations and stuff to make sure people consume enough of this you need about 400 mcg per day um, and again you're getting this generally from vegetables especially like those dark leafy green vegetables fruits 
You also get it from like fruit juices, nuts, beans, peas, seafood, eggs, dairy products, liver again, uh, meat, poultry, and grains. Actually, we should have said on omega-3s, you get omega-3s from eating brain. So that's what that guy is doing. You know, he's just getting ahead of the curve. He's getting his omega-3s in. He's eating some brain. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Winning. But anyway, yeah. Uh, we are the minority. <laughs> He's going to evolve past us. But anyway, folate, do you guys have anything to say on that? Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, like folate is something that's obviously very important. If you've you know heard of people talking about folic acid before, if you want to, you know, have a healthy pregnancy, super important. Okay, so that's all we say for now, because we will definitely cover folic acid in a future episode. There are also better and worse forms of folate, depending on what you're looking for. But in general, look, we don't need to cover that now. Now, Nicola, I want you to run through some plant-based potential deficiencies, right? Because we're going to do an entire plant-based episode, but just while we've covered you know, just the general deficiencies, give us a quick hitter of the you know, plant-based concerns, and then we'll get into female-specific concerns. Because again, we've covered everything. You know a lot of the, the normal nutrient deficiencies. Let's go into the, the female stuff. So plant-based people, what are they deficient in? Yeah, so the what we just went through there, um, a vegan vegetarian diet, particularly a vegan diet, um, would be is potential de- deficiencies in all of those. Um, I suppose it's just that they're more likely to be or more at risk, I should say, at being deficient in, like we were saying, protein, like we're saying, not so much deficient, but definitely a suboptimal intake, um, iron. Um, calcium, vitamin D, which again is general population, your omegas, um, iodine, um, selenium, um, zinc, like you could, it, I hate kind of listing off a ream of things that people can be um, deficient in, particularly um, vegan vegetarians when it is, you know, generally speaking, it can be quite a healthful diet. Um, but it's just things to look out for and know where are you getting these things from um if you are particularly vegan mm-hmm. yeah and that is really important because again look you might be a vegan or you know a vegetarian or whatever and you might not be deficient in these things this is more so uh what do you want to call it an eye opener going like oh i just need to make sure that i know where i'm getting x nutrient from in my diet you know it's just something i need to to be aware of that that could be a concern you know um And then we get into the more female specific concerns. Now we can actually go through this relatively quickly because a lot of these we've actually already covered, you know? Um, So look, Nicola, I'll let you take it away. Um, If you want to run through, I suppose the first thing, like like women are not just a homogenous grouping, (laughs) right? That should be obvious enough. And you're going to have different goals. And as a result of that, depending on where you are in your life stage, depending on where you are in your, your goals, whatever it is, you're going to have different nutrients of concerns. Like if you are 13 versus 30 versus 90, we're going to have different nutrient concerns, but give us a kind of a rundown here of these female specific nutrients of concern. Yeah, absolutely. And like we were saying, we're going to touch on kind of fertility pre and postnatal in another 
um, podcast, but even though that subset in itself, you know, it, between the different trimesters, um, between breastfeeding, they all have different requirements as well. Um, we're going to be talking about um, perimenopause and postmenopause in another one, but just I suppose to touch on a couple of, of brief things here. Um, like we were saying, iron um, is the big one for women. Like we were saying, we lose it, you know, have blood loss through menstruation. Um, and we went through which is the symptoms that you might have then. So, but the what we as we didn't go through was how um, we you know where to get it in the diet, um, how we can kind of increase the absorption of iron as well, um, which is a big one. Um, so we have our hame iron, our non hame iron. So our hame iron is through um, animal products, um, through animal foods, and then non hame iron would be our plants based um, sources of iron. Um, so hame iron is generally well absorbed in the body um, versus non hame iron, which isn't as well absorbed and needs to go through a chemical conversion um, to be hame iron. Um, so increasing its absorption, you're looking at um, adding vitamin C to meals. Um, you're looking at the way that you're, you're cooking and what you're eating, um, your, you know, um, iron sources with, like we spoke about, um, you know, phytic acid earlier and like the oxalates, other things like tannins and tea as well can hinder um, the absorption. Um, so those, I suppose, are your, your, your heavy hitters with that. But um, like we were saying, iron deficiency um, is different from iron deficiency anemia in that you can look at a blood test and see that your hemoglobin is normal and be like that's grand um but if you're not looking at um i suppose the full clinical picture and things like ferritin saturation um you you can't really um write off that you don't have an iron deficiency just because your hemoglobin is is normal so yeah i don't know do you have anything you want to to add on that Look, i can go off on a million tangents but yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty well covered i suppose actually just on that you know if people are going to be looking at you know food sources of this it is a little bit harder in you know, obviously the plant-based stuff but even in terms of you know people who are eating meat like a lot of people do stuff like just eat like chicken breast you know and that actually doesn't have a huge amount of iron when you're looking for iron what you're really looking for is that kind of ready color like it's you can think of it in terms of like oxidation you know you get rust and it's like oh iron rust ready kind of color and um, but it does also hold through through hold true in terms of the meat choices that we make like if you eat something like a, a chicken thigh you know that does actually have a little bit more iron in it and if you also eat something like a red meat that's actually going to have more iron in it as well so like you can just visually inspect and be like okay the meat choices i'm making are they likely to have a little bit more iron in them based on the redness of them yeah, one thing as well, because we're Irish, is that there's obviously that meme that like Guinness is very rich in iron. And like, yeah, Guinness has iron, but it's not that rich in iron. You've got like, I think 0.3 milligrams per pint of Guinness, which is just not a lot. Uh, I think that's it anyway, but it comes to about 3% of, of what you'd require in a day or even less than that, really. Uh, and the reason I bring that up is because a lot of uh, Irish men with hemochromatosis, uh, I was actually listening to 
James James Cavanaugh's podcast the other day because he's absolutely hilarious. And he was talking about, uh, or he was he was interviewing his dad, and I think his dad has has uh, hemochromatosis, pretty mild. But he was like, "Oh, I loved Guinness all my life, but now the doctor only lets me have two pints." So James Cavanaugh's dad, if you're listening to this, you can absolutely have more than two pints, right? Maybe not because of the alcohol, but like the the iron <laughs> is just not that much at all. You know, it's it's three pints of Guinness is going to give you the same amount of iron as like an egg you know so one if you're someone who's worried about iron overload you can keep the guinness and then two if you're trying to boost your iron intake in the diet through you know stout uh, yeah pick something else maybe 100 of course guy would sidetrack when we're talking about the female population you would talk about the male population well this is a pro guinness podcast and i want equality <laughs> i think it's actually d- disgusting that men have appropriated guinness um our national beverage that women feel ashamed to have a pint of guinness because they feel it's manly i think all women should drink pints of guinness how do you feel about arthur guinness being a, being a unionist it's, it, he made a great product that's all i care about okay <laughs> i don't care who's behind the business you just give me a good product anyway other female uh specific nutrients of concern nicola yeah we, we spoke about bone health i know already but just reiterating that point that um, you know, it, we need to kind of start now, like in, in your 20s, is making sure that you're getting sufficient calcium, that you're getting sufficient um, vitamin D. Um, our, you know, um, bone mineral density does start to decrease kind of late 20s. So it's just putting down that foundations now um, so that you're not in trouble kind of l- later on in life. And of course, you're look, also looking at protein there. You're looking at resistance training. Um, and as well, there's, you know, maybe a potential benefit of supplementing with creatine as well, which I know we didn't we didn't um, touch on yet. Mm-hmm. Um, look, we probably will do an entire one on bone health as well uh, later on in this podcast series, because look, this is something that there's actually so many factors that we can manipulate to encourage this stuff from the training side of things to the nutrition side of things to also like your sun exposure to, to all of this stuff, you know? And um, so we won't go too much into it here now. Is there anything else female specific nutrients of concern? I think I'd probably consider those kind of the, the, the two main ones. And then other things that, that we've already spoken about, um, like we were saying, kind of, you know, omegas for anti-inflammatory or like magnesium, B6, that sort of thing. And then we can get into more detail about kind of thyroid health, um, maybe nutrition for PCOS, um, endometriosis, um, I suppose, in, in other episodes as well. Or we can touch on them briefly now, whatever. Yeah, like, we might as well just briefly touch on them there because obviously, look, we'll go in depth in the future ones. But I would like to, you know, people listening to this, they didn't just get the, uh, oh, here's the generic uh, <laughs> nutrients of concern. I want to make it. Because look, realistically, if you cover all the generic nutri- nutrients of concern, you're probably doing really, really fucking well in terms of all the nutrients of concern. Because as you'll see, when we do go into all of these various different things in this episode and also in future episodes, you'll be like, oh, I get it from fruits and vegetables. Oh, I get it from this. It's like, it's not like there's just one nutrient in this food. It's like, it has a whole host of different things. So if you're focusing on the overall diet pattern, 
all of a sudden a lot of these boxes get ticked and you just don't have to focus on it specifically. Obviously there are some nutrients you have to focus on specifically. Like you're not just going to get your, I don't know, your iron intake from increasing your fruit and vegetable intake. You're not going to get your vitamin A, you know, well, you might get it from the fruit and vegetable stuff, but you're not going to get other nutrients in, in, by just going like, Oh, this is, this is, you know, this blanket statement. We have to actually look for them in the diet, you know, like your iodine, for example. Right. Um, and I know we're going to talk about fertility and stuff in, in a future episode. Um, but if you want to run through the con- nutrients of a concern with that, you know, we can just quickly, you don't have to go through uh, in-depth stuff, but you can just go boom, 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 give us the quick hitter. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, the main ones for fertility and for pregnancy um, that would be recommended are your, like we are saying, folate, um, like L-methylfolate in particular is um easier easier more it's in their readily more absorbable form in the body so that's a good one to to supplement with so um folate vitamin d as well and then a prenatal supplement um again there's a lot of other nutrients that are important for fertility um but this is something that will be um judged on a need basis it's not something that everyone with you know all the 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 potential deficiencies again in pregnancy and things if you're deficient in this this will happen to the baby and this will happen to the fetus and you know they'll have all this kind of stuff if you're deficient in you know vitamin whatever um but it it's just kind of fear-mongering for for a lot of women so i think the best thing to do is you know talk to um a dietitian talk to like a, a medical professional about it um if you're someone that has maybe other comorbidities or that might be has special dietary needs and just to make sure that you're covering all those bases but i suppose the 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 base recommendation for most women is prenatal supplement um some sort of um you know kind of methylfolate or folic acid um, and vitamin D. So they're, they're the broad ones. And then after that, um, you know, you're looking at comorbidities, high risk pregnancies, um, and special diets as well, that, that again, will be based on the individual. Um, 100%. Um, are there any other nutrients that you'd like to, to go through? And then if not, we can just go through this kind of like how we think about this stuff in terms of like, you know, food first approach and stuff. No, I think we we touched on um, thyroid a little bit um, earlier. So just touching on that again. So um, hypothyroidism, so underactive thyroid is really common in a lot of women. So you have two, I suppose, main categories of um, issues with your thyroid. So that's hypothyroid, underactive thyroid, and then hyper, which is an overactive thyroid. Um, and again, th- this is, you, you'll find it, it's a nearly linked in family. So if someone's, you know, granny or mom has it, they're at an increased um, likelihood of getting it as well. Um, so what you don't want to do is what we were saying about, you know, iodine and again, like milling a load of um, seaweed. If you have an overactive thyroid, again, that will just send you in the completely other direction. Um, so it's about when you kind of hear things like, oh, like, you know, um, iodine, selenium, whatever is good for thyroid health is is actually, again, speaking to, to a nutritional professional and saying, like, is this relevant to me in my situation? Because I have a thyroid disorder doesn't mean I should start taking um, iodine um, or zinc, whatever it is. But yeah, like nutrients of concern with um, like thyroid is like your iodine, selenium, zinc, um, iron, B12, um, et cetera. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And this kind of brings us to the the final the conclusion of the podcast, which is 
like, how do you actually manage all of this stuff? Right. Because if you were to genuinely sit down and be like, right, I need to look through all of this stuff. I need to make sure I've got this nutrient. I need to get this nutrient. Like it would actually be exhausting. You know, like I know some registered dietitians and stuff that actually have done this with their own diet. And they're like, geez, it actually takes like a long time. And now there is software and different things. And we'll talk about an app in a, in a second. But there are different software packages and stuff that, you know, dietitians use to, to help them. But in general, like if you were just general population going through this stuff, it would be absolutely exhausting, right? So how do we think about this stuff in terms of are we looking at food? Are we looking at supplementation? Are we looking at like really dialing in on specific nutrients? What, what's the story here? Yeah, so it can be really overwhelming. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of people, people go either one way or the other. There's people who, you know, don't think twice about this kind of stuff. And then there's people who want to get tested and need to know their magnesium levels and need to know really like micromanage their 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 um nutrients. Um, but for general population, it, it's really not necessary i suppose to, to micromanage in that sense but setting up someone's diet again it's evaluating where they are now like is are they someone who's an erratic eater are they having low protein are they um you know diet high in saturated fats and just kind of start to implement things slowly um so if it's if it's something like they're they've a terrible diet and, and low protein you know you're not going to start looking at their vitamin a levels you know are they getting their vitamin a in um you know you're going to kind of start with kind of i suppose your big rocks of nutrition um and that's you know mainly kind of whole foods um that's trying to have kind of minimally processed foods um high protein um enjoying enough kind of fruit veg low saturated fat fats from mostly polyunsaturated sources um, and just kind of taking taking those kind of things first um, and then dialing it in I suppose in terms of what you might be at higher risk from so again like we were saying women and iron deficiency um, or whether it's uh, again someone with a thyroid issue etc so trying to dial it in specifically to to the the individual and that's tough um but i think looking at the main things um with nutrition is important first before looking at um individual nutrients yeah like i always much prefer that food first approach and like you said the start of that is just finding a baseline diet going okay am i dialed in getting enough protein getting enough fruit and vegetables am i eating like a varied you know food sources get that dialed in right see what happens then and then what you can do on top of that is like there are different like websites and stuff where you're like okay i can literally just run through the list of you know nutrients or micronutrients or whatever you'd be like vitamin a you know and look at food sources of vitamin a and all you have to do is go okay i've built this diet this is saying this is where i get vitamin a from and then compare them and be like okay am i eating any of these sources no i'm not okay maybe my vitamin a intake is a little bit low and then what you can do is just either add in those foods or switch some foods around and go okay now i'm going to see how that affects me and you can do that for all of the different nutrients like there are like again like the cdc has websites the uh, nih has websites the nhs has websites like there's so many different websites that you can go on depending on your location and you can figure out okay what are the food sources of this stuff right because that's probably the 
best approach for this to look at the food and make sure your food selection is in a good place. And then you don't have to micromanage the stuff. You don't have to go, well, I need, I only got a 420 milligrams of this stuff and I should have, I got, you know, 500 and you don't need to do that stuff. If you get your food selection in a good place. Right. And we also generally get people to use like the app, chronometer um, or chronometer. Some people say it like that. I don't know which one's right. Um, it's quite good. It'll give you an idea of the different nutrients in your diet. So if you're like, right, I want to see across the week how my, my diet looks in terms of my micronutrients, minerals, vitamins, et cetera. And you're like, okay, I'm just going to pop in what I'm eating into chrono, chronometer, chronometer, whatever it is, uh, and then see what is coming up as deficient, what is coming up as low intake, high intake, whatever, you know? Um, and that's generally how we do. We go, okay, let's focus on the food. And then, yeah, we'll either assess it by just looking at food selection or we'll use an app or something like chronometer and go, okay, this is this is identified that vitamin a you're not getting enough of that or you know iodine or whatever it is right and obviously you want to look at this stuff over a week you know it's not just the the one isolated day where you had a really great intake of everything it's like okay well what's what's the week look like you know and and that's generally where we'll start with that stuff and then we'll look at really like targeted diet decisions you know targeted choices so we might have already done like okay we made a few different swaps but now we might be like okay we've really identified that vitamin a we're not we're just not getting enough of you know then we might be like right we actually need to really focus on these foods in the diet i'm going to really try to make sure that they're in my diet so it's really targeted really just isolated we're like right you need to eat some more brain and liver you know um you're going to do something like that you're going to be like these are the foods that i need to eat this is how i'm going to fit it into my diet i'm going to have them twice per week or i'm going to do whatever it is you're going to come up with a really targeted protocol for specific nutrients because you've assessed your diet and you, you just can't find them in your diet, right? You do that before you look at supplements, right? But the first supplement you can do just as a coverall, cover your bases, is get a high quality multivitamin, right? Now, the thing about this is it's not a cure-all. People use it as a like, oh, I'm on a multivitamin, so I don't even think about the diet, but it's just not the case, you know? It is also the case that you could be consuming a multivitamin and getting excess levels of intake with different nutrients. So it's not, it's not the you know, be all and end all, but it can be a good little choice to just be like, right, rather than focusing on these the completely random isolated nutrients, you're just going to get a multivitamin, right? Then if we're really concerned about certain nutrients, I would generally just, you know, talk to a dietitian or a doctor. But if, you know, you're really concerned about these things, we could get into like very targeted supplementation. But as we've discussed on this podcast, a lot of this stuff is in a spectrum. So just because you think you're deficient doesn't mean that supplementing to like excessively high levels is a good idea. Like we need to look at that as like, okay, well, where is my intake at? Where do I need to be at? You probably need to get help with this stuff from an actual dietitian or even just talking to your doctor, you know, um, and iron, especially because we've mentioned it a few times, that is definitely something that I would just be talking to my doctor or dietitian or whatever about rather than just deciding, Oh, I'm going to take some iron supplement. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's not something that you want to just, do excessively so you know that is something that i would talk to an actual professional about and this is also especially the case if you are or want to get pregnant you know like that's a it's not just you that you're thinking of there it's the child as well and like nicola said earlier on like there can be a lot of fear-mongering in this stuff and you can be like oh fuck i'm 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 basically destroying my child's life uh, for the rest of their life by not getting these nutrients or you know, not having my diet dialed in, et cetera, et cetera. 
but there are certain things that we can focus on in a very like, you know, low stress way to make sure that we've looked and covered all our bases. But ultimately, I would just talk to an actual professional about this stuff, you know? Um, so guys, do you have anything else to say in terms of our overall approach to that stuff, Nicola or Gary? Fantastic. So take us away, Gary, wrap it up. All done. Okay, so... As always, guys, if you like the podcast, we do appreciate when people share it. We love when people share it. We love when people leave reviews. So do whatever you can to spread the good word. Um, also, if you'd like more specific help uh, with your health and fitness goals, female or otherwise, we do have coaching spaces available. So maybe you're in, listening to this podcast as a trainer yourself or you're a trainee or you're a woman who wants to learn more about female nutrition Regardless of who you are, uh, we do have coaching spaces available. We've got a team of coaches with a broad range of capabilities and special interests. So we almost certainly have someone that can help you towards your goals. All you have to do is look at the links in the description box below. You can contact us at info at triagemethod.com or complete the application form below, and we will get back to you with more information. Otherwise, you can keep up with us on social media. We put out a lot of free content, okay? So Triage Method on Instagram will take you to all of our respective pages, and you'll see um, plenty of informational content there. We also put out a weekly newsletter, the Triage Method newsletter, which you can subscribe to below. And that is information, um, generally an essay or short article or that type of thing that doesn't go elsewhere on our social media. So if you're not following there, you are missing out. So make sure that you're subscribed. And uh, other than that, I think that's everything. Fantastic. I've nothing else to say unless you have something else to say, Nicola. We'll just wrap it up there. No, all good. All good. So we'll, we'll see everyone in the next episode.